Hello, and welcome to the Bits of a Tangent podcast, where we bring you mind-bending ideas from science, philosophy, artificial intelligence, medicine, and more. I'm Jared, a medical student and aspiring rationalist, and as always, I'll be joined by my co-host Jean-Luc, data wizard, learning machine, and contender for the most quantified self. In this episode, we depart on a number of conversational tangents, including our favorite productivity strategies and the different schools of productivity thought, some techniques we've tried to raise our awareness and prevent lapsing into repetitive, unconscious, and unhelpful ways of being, the conversations with people we love we may never have, but probably should, activities that get neglected unless you specifically schedule them in, and the notion of a space of things or concepts and what it means to close the inferential distance between these concepts. Along the way, we hit a not unusual amount of tangents, so there's plenty to keep you intrigued. And so, without further ado, here's the episode of Bit of a Tangent. I can sleep on something that modern man has been sleeping on for years now. I'm part of humanity again. So you've been sleeping on a mattress up until this point on the floor or no mattress at all? No mattress, just floor. Okay. So you got a mattress pretty quickly. So, I mean, like a mattress on the floor is, is, is pretty reasonable. Quite, quite nice, actually. No, no, I had no mattress. You had no mattress. So you were literally, you've been sleeping on the hard ground for what, a, a week? Two, two weeks? Uh, two weeks, although I won't make it sound worse than it was because it was only the hard ground for, let's say, seven days total. And then I found, then I rolled up some towels and then I, uh, <laughs> Sasha has like this sort of camping mat, which I borrowed, which has been fairly comfortable. I have no complaints with it. Okay. So yeah, but, but, but pretty, um, I don't know, stoic. I think. I will say, I think my, my, yeah, no, maybe, but I think, interestingly, my spine feels as good as it's ever felt. It was my hips that suffered, but my spine felt great. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, I, I, I also do find, like, sometimes just lying on hard surfaces just so nice for your back. Mm. Because a lot of the time, like, soft beds just allow us to contort um, and be tensed in all the ways that we are normally throughout the course of the day from all our, our sitting and slouching. So it's actually quite nice to just lie down, especially if you can get your legs up. Um, that said, sleeping a whole night like that, I tend to roll onto my side, and at that point the mm-hmm. pelvis takes the brunt. So, yeah. But um, have you found it like a, like mentally or psychologically? Have you found it a positive or negative experience or neutral um maybe even slightly positive i guess there was definitely a a, a noticeable change in being much closer to the floor um that sort of 
I'm going to use the word grounded non-ironically now. Um, <laughs> but there, there, there's something to be said for this like very minimalist style of lying down, almost bedding down uh, each night. And um, yeah, I actually, I, it certainly wasn't something that I was going to complain about. I found it really the least of the unpleasantries that one has felt is left to deal with in everyday life. Okay, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, reassuring to hear. Um, I think that's like, yeah, ultimately, it, it like, is, you know, is this the condition I so feared? Is the stoic mantra, and uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's quite nice every now and then. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things like watching the sunrise that you should do at least once, but maybe a few times a year. That very idea is something I've been writing uh, about a little bit this week. Mm. So, like, certain activities which get neglected easily um, just by the pattern and shape and dynamics of everyday life, but which are things that are worth scheduling in, I guess is the, the catchphrase, because they're so easy to neglect, yet add so much. Mm. So there's this interesting idea. Um, it comes from a one of the productivity sort of gurus, you know, these are the classic sort of schools of productivity. You've got the getting things done people and, and, and so on. You know, the names are all, you know, kind of trivial. But the one of the schools was that you should uh, schedule the things that you most easily put off, delay or avoid first and then let all the other right? commitments uh, uh, surround that. What, what's that? It's sort of like uh, you should eat your frogs first almost. Except eating your yeah so yeah eating your frog is was more about like tackling the the hardest challenge, um, but this okay. was this was more in the sense because I remember these were listed somewhere and the eat your frog sort of school was separated from this one so it, it's it's more the yeah. leisure and social activities and things the you know this this self reflection the sharpening of the saw if you will so it's scheduling those activities first because you know. The eat your frog thing works quite well, but if you're a workaholic, your problem is not so much that you, you know, you, you, you're sure you're putting off some things through a crazier, but the, the challenge can also be not spending enough time on things that are important outside of just working. You can just, you know, tunnel vision on work, and that's also a problem. So the idea right. being that you would uh, schedule in, you know, your exercise and your social plans and your date nights and your, uh, you know, weekends away with friends for like months in advance first and then let work and other commitments and things fill those, um, fill the gaps in between as opposed to the inverse, which is sort of the natural state. Um, so yeah, it it ties back into that of, of, there are certain things like doing quarterly and yearly reviews that aren't the default Mm. and not difficult, but they have incredible value and it's important to try and schedule them and you have to use various tools and tactics and, you know, sort of hacks to try and increase the likelihood that you do them promptly and regularly because when you've done them, you always go, wow, that was so valuable. I should do that all more often. And then it becomes this issue of time goes by, you know, it's spread out enough that it isn't a habit, but yet Mm. it's important enough that, it is something you have to try and, and make time to do. It's something I've really struggled with at the moment because I've been one, like I still haven't done my yearly review because I had other you know commitments that were more urgent and more important in the sort of traditional sense. Um, mm. 
And so I keep neglecting this thing and I kind of feel like I haven't really started my year properly yet because I don't have this like clear overview of it. I guess that that makes me think of you could almost categorize events quite naturally into these two broad categories of either, I guess, what you could call naturally space filling. So that's things like uh, social media use and work in the traditional sense. You, you almost don't need to schedule it, right? It, it just permeates and expands like some gaseous thing mm. into every nook and cranny of your time, right? If Absolutely. You don't have to tell me, you know, use WhatsApp for 20 minutes today. I will just find 20 minutes. But you could say to a lot of people, and myself included on some days, okay, find 20 minutes to meditate, and I'll say, no, I don't chance. know where to find it, right? Mm. So that, that could actually be that's an interesting uh, distinction. I quite like that. I, we need to fi- figure out a catchy name for those two groups of events. Yeah, while we like think about group. that, I think a, an important way to uh, cluster them away from each other quite, quite easily, because not all of the... Um, my first thought was that, you know, all of the gaseous expanding ones are designed to be that way so like social media is a good example right because it's 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 designed to hack your attention so a lot of thought and energy and and you know man and woman hours have gone into them uh but that's not always the case i mean i think like something like whatsapp you can do whatsapp almost anytime anywhere but you can't meditate anytime anywhere and i think that's also why finding time for meditation is hardest of all things because you can you know sort of find some moments here and there when there's noise or whatever to read a few articles or you know listen to an audiobook but meditation requires very for, for the most part requires quite uh, precise conditions um and so i i think yeah generally these things can be clustered into the sort of the ones that you that you can naturally just do anywhere and ones and any time and ones that mm. require specific conditions that are easy to put off, right? You can't go for a run if you're not in running shoes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I see that distinction. Although I must say, I would push back a little bit on the idea that um, you can't do meditation. In some sense, right, mindfulness is meant to be brought out into just the world that you find yourself in. So. Mm. Maybe that specific example is is not as yeah. I will close. I will totally grant you that the the practice of mindfulness can be an any time thing. Those sort of resolving mm-hmm. to be conscious in any given moment, or focusing the attention. Um, but in a way, that's more like the effect of the meditation and not the, the cause as much to me. But uh, but if we if we you know throw aside the the actual you know the 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 true you know, platonic ideal of the meditation, or maybe I shouldn't say the platonic ideal, I misspoke as the, the, the Sam Harris ideal of, of meditation, then, you know, if you just think of like, you know, standard like headspace, you know, 10 minutes, sit quietly, close your eyes, listen to the audio, that kind of meditation, that requires specific conditions. I, it actually was a bit of a bad example, but I suppose everything is a bad example if you find, you know, that people know enough about it. Um, and yeah. have the time to, <laughs> but yeah. I actually wanted to ask then, maybe uh, just tangentially here. So in terms of your own mindfulness practice and this general goal of bringing mindfulness out into just the everyday, do you have any sort of ways of trying to do that? So, I mean, as you said, like ideally it's just every moment of consciousness, but I think for most people and certainly for myself, that's just a long way away right now. 
So are there any specific triggers or anything that you use uh, or like habits you're trying to bring out on that? Um, nothing's jumping to mind. I think when I, when I notice myself feeling particularly anxious, um, especially the physiological symptoms of anxiety. So, mm. you know, I notice I'll be like tapping my foot or I'll be like very physically tensed up, mus- you know, in terms of my musculature. Um, th- then I will often as a result you know, take one deep or two deep mindful breaths and kind of just bring myself into the moment. So no closing of the eyes, nothing, just focus on the breath and being present in the now for two like deep breaths. And, uh, you know, just the breathing alone, you know, I think there's some evidence to suggest that that alone would help. But uh, yeah, that, that, so that sometimes helps just to take the edge off uh, if there's actually mm. like quite intense anxiety. But yeah, I, I suppose you, that you, you could make more, um, you, you know, explicit triggers. So uh, for people who are trying to learn to lucid dream, they have tricks where they'll like write something on the back of their hand or something of that nature that when they notice, they use it to realize, you know, to remind themselves that they're awake so that when they're sleeping, they ha- are in the habit of looking at the hand and seeing, oh, and then they see it's not there. They realize they're actually asleep and then try not to wake up. And that's how they induce lucid dreaming. One could apply a similar sort of thing by like you know wearing a certain piece of like uh, jewelry on the wrist or having something on one's hand and every time you notice Mm. that to stop and be mindful however that has the problem of you tend to stop noticing those things because they don't stand out after a while Mm. so you'd have to keep changing it your idea i like your idea of linking uh, or just trying to notice a specific physiological or psychological phenomenon. Uh, one that I've tried, uh, or two maybe, is I've tried to use eating and food as a trigger to just pause for a second, because it's obviously a very rich sensory experience, and I'm trying less and less to just scoff where it is in front of me and uh, actually use that as a trigger to pay attention. Uh, mm. Ironically, of course, I'm telling you this 10 minutes after virtually inhaling some scrambled eggs before we started uh, recording so (laughs) um yeah that's uh it's a sacrifice for the cause and uh not all heroes wear capes but some of them scoff down (laughs) scrambled eggs uh and then another one that i'm also trying and this one has actually been surprisingly successful is i've tried to use uh the appearance of human faces as as a trigger so there's i think sam harris does a really good job of explaining this but just how when human gaze you know the look of someone else's eyes implicates you as a self right there's something it feels like to be looked at and that feeling is distinct enough that i've i'm trying to create this sense of okay i'm being looked at and now notice that um so that's been interesting and it certainly led me to at least the times that i managed to do it just be slightly more aware that there is this whole other person behind that face, uh, which is maybe something that I need reminding of, but another consciousness with a a whole universe of their own existing inside their simulation. I mean, on that, I I find it's actually quite interesting to notice how seldom you actually make proper eye contact with people, like just anyone, Mm. Um, like sometimes you can go through a whole day having meetings, conversations and various uh, social interactions without ever really having proper eye contact and 
and and paying attention it's almost just like these things are you know voices playing out or you know you might as well be interacting with them over over like a slack chat I sp- uh, you know i find particularly in um with with colleagues as opposed to you know friends or um partners yeah. so yeah it's it's quite an interesting thing to and, and it's incredibly powerful to stop and look another person in the eyes for you know 5 to 10 seconds and really pay attention to them and what they're saying and what and and you know it's it's the height of empathy in in many ways it's it's certainly more challenging than you think uh at least if you start out having relatively poor habits um and it's something that when you try it can either go i found like surprisingly well or surprisingly badly uh it goes badly if you just project very bad evolutionarily conserved uh challenge uh behavior and posturing and that can just happen if you are just maybe let's say in a rush but it can also go surprisingly well uh yesterday it was a very good example of this i was uh at the till at the supermarket and just everything about my affect just came off well uh surprisingly so in fact it was so surprising because I noticed that person's demeanor change in real time. And this is a function of maybe my tone of voice. And it was, it was honestly, it was asking that person, how are you? But in a tone of voice that wasn't uh, the same one as I'm here, put my stuff through the machine and how are you? Because that is like the next sentence in the script. It was, it it obviously sounded at least realistic enough. And and there was a real time shift in her demeanor and it was very interesting. I I've actually just remembered I, I have this game that I try and play as much as possible, which is whenever you encountering someone who's having lots of social contacts but very few interactions mm-hmm. in a day. So a cashier is a perfect example, um, or some kind of teller or whatever. To try yeah. and be the like one of the most or the most um, warm connections that that person has on that day regardless mm, of how you feel yeah. so you might feel like dog shit and you might not want to talk to this person and you might be like irritated about something but to just actually you know add more to them than you know because if you're just taking away constantly and especially those uh, people like in toll booths and things like that will really really respond to that because a lot of the time what they get is just irritation and you know the person just ignores them yeah, that's actually uh, a really good one. Uh, it's a good skill to practice, so it's, it works both ways as well. Mm. Um, on this topic, there's another sort of uh, practice which I've been thinking about. You know, I mean, we're sort of talking about different things we do to bring ourselves into the world and out of our heads. And I can't remember exactly where I was turned on to this, but the idea is to make almost let's say door frames or entrances and exits, uh, a trigger to try and summarize whatever just happened to you uh, in in that room that you're in or that space. And this came up in the context of, um, you know, like, so imagine space repetition for a book or something else you wanted to learn, but now your space repetition and, or just a little bit of reminding of, your life and so it's just a way to make sure that 
you are a tightening the feedback loops that comprise your interactions, right? It's if you are not, if you are summarizing uh, an interaction every ten minutes that you leave, it's going to be difficult not to notice when you've been a colossal dick, for example. So that's very intriguing mm. to me. Um, that's a really that's it's a pretty clever trigger. It makes me think of, uh, I, and now I'm not an expert on this. It was only brought to my attention a few years ago. Um, in traditional Judaism, there's a practice of having uh, scrolls from the Torah like rolled up and put in things in doorways, like on door frames, and then you touch them every time you go through. And there's a like a thought behind that relating to the the message that's inscribed therein. So it, it's it's that kind of, of practice because we you know frequently move through. Um, doorways that's a very good uh chaining uh or or sort of uh, a leapfrogging opportunity for 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 other habits and then using that as a good uh, way to reflect on the you know the you know preceding uh you know 15 minutes or so is is that's very I, i think i might actually just start implementing that right away because yeah a lot of the time I find that I I only reflect on a on a an interaction much later, and I mm. realize that I was totally not present, and that caused me to have some, you know, negative impact um, that I wouldn't have had if I was more present in the conversation. Yeah, it it's surprising uh, the effect that they can have just to, you know, tighten the the loop of your life. There, you you are noticing much quicker if you are being. A bit of an asshole you're also noticing maybe your emotions in that situation and you're even asking you know yourself am i being uh let's just say true to my my values am i am i inhabiting the identity that i really want to right now is this a useful way to be engaging right now all of those questions can come up so i found it to be an intriguing possibility that i haven't quite nailed yet but i'm very interested in so anyone who's into sort of prediction markets and the research behind it is probably aware of the principle that disciplines that have more uh, instantaneous feedback or more regular feedback and more measurable feedback are, are much less prone to, you know, wild speculation and the experts are much better at predicting outcomes, you know, so you've got your mm-hmm. sort of like economists your macroeconomists and they you know especially the the, the pundit kinds who can just make any sort of prediction and (laughs) always justify anything and and, and in retrospect as well but then you've got things you know sort of say mathematics for instance or or, or a better best example is uh, a bit closer to home for you would be like surgery you know if you if you make a mistake you have instantaneous feedback from a hundred different variables and uh, you do you know a surgeon who's you know well trained and popular and in a busy city will do the same operation multiple times maybe every day for for years and and you have instant feedback all the time so this idea of tightening the feedback loop means that you can you know more quickly update your the weights of your mental models and uh, and improve and minimize your loss function so to speak um but at the same time it might also have the effect of increasing the meaning in one's life you know time seems to fly when you lose track and and that's great in some ways and you know when you're working when you get into a flow state it's wonderful but in terms of interactions and social interactions i think it's it's terrible when you feel like 
your time with someone just flies by and you don't you you only were present for like a few moments the rest of it you were kind of just on autopilot you were you were there and you were engaged but you weren't aware of it and so like tightening those feedback loops in terms of one's awareness actually fills in life with a much higher resolution of of meaning and awareness and you know a, a year is longer than a year in some sense the tighter those feedback loops are up to a point of course i would imagine yeah but that's, uh, that's one of the big reasons i'm actually trying to do this as you say it's so easy to slip into this unconscious day-to-day uh sort of similar pattern of being hmm. i really like that trigger as well though with the door the door hmm. frames um yeah i, I definitely because that's that's something i'd never uh, thought of doing before um that's a it's a really nice one i'm gonna explore that a bit oh excellent um i wanted to actually ask so i mean we've gone on this sort of long loop of talking about time and the various ways of being in it um so if we go all the way back to the beginning and we were talking about things that you just have to schedule in and you mentioned scheduling in uh sunrises so are there any other things that you like right now what are you scheduling in if i had to ask you um so there's you know so sort of the most macro level there's a yearly review which i think is crucial every year um and 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 using that to to plan for the future and create goals and break those down into the habits that form them and chain those to existing habits and so on um then you know i like to do a sort of smaller version of that every quarter because i think that's a nice uh, duration for many reasons um but we can get into that some other time uh and then in terms of the this the more obscure sorts of things i try i do a weekly review as well and in that i've incorporated a lot of um activities uh so i review the my personal data for the last week so this is like uh i use the app rescue time that tracks all the time i've spent on my computer and what applications or websites i was using uh so that i have a pretty good sense of how productive i was being so it like it it knows which ones are productive and unproductive and gives me a score um so i try to look at that data from the last week and i look at another app that tracks um how much coding i do and uh in what languages and in what projects uh review my financial like status and transactions and things like that so so this so there's a bit of data review which is just useful because you you, you know you're not just reviewing it uh, at a macro scale every now and then and and sort of analyzing it you you're also like in it and just uh, looking at it and being aware and being more mindful is useful in and of itself um and then there's a bunch of other behaviors there so i will review my i've got two lists uh, one's a waiting for list um which is just right. you know anything that i'm waiting for whether it's someone to return something that i've loaned them uh or you know whatever it, it, may, it may be um and then the other one is a someday list which is just a list and every time i i'm like oh someday i'd like to you know live in that city or someday i'd like to go skydive whatever it may be that goes on the someday list and and every week i review that just to sort of bring those things back into my uh working memory so to speak or my like medium term memory and just keep them as a a point of awareness and also to you know check off ones i've completed and uh yeah if you just just make it them more of an intention uh then they otherwise would be if you write them down somewhere and never review them so there's a few things like that um and then in terms of i i have tried over the years to uh schedule 
things like, okay, in the next quarter, I have to see one sunrise, draw one sketch, um, write one song. I've, I've tried systems like that. Mm. I've just found that I was always overly ambitious and then I would make, I'd feel guilty about it and it would make it more of a chore than anything else. So I think finding the right balance for me with that is, 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 a, is always a challenge. So there's okay. uh, the website, uh, Higher Existence, and they have like, um, it's like 50 life challenges or something like that. And you like sort of level up in each tier. So you've got like, you know, like the meditation tier, which is like, it starts like five minutes or one minute a day or something like that. And it levels up until you're meditating like two hours every day. Um, it's got like the, the social tier where you start with like, you know, pay one person, one stranger a compliment every day. And then it, you know, it goes all the way up to, you know, you like meet someone new every every weekend or you know, whatever it may be uh so they they really do level up um so there are things that i've tried to incorporate like that but nothing's stuck very well other than you know these things that i tend to do at a weekly granularity so i'm interested to hear what you uh have to say on that um and sort of what ideas we may give each other because i think a lot of the time one might get like 80 or 90 percent of the way to a really good system to implement something uh, but just misses the other bits. And when you've got someone else to bounce the ideas off, you can uh, actually complete a lot of the puzzle. Yeah, that's probably something worthwhile looking. I think for me, I've been thinking about, as we mentioned briefly, this you know these, these activities that are not naturally space-filling. And so obviously the daily meditation practice is something that I'm really making sure I'm carving out time for. Um, I guess what I'm also looking for is... Um, more and more trying to carve out like meaningful slots of time uh, with like, for example, my brother, you know, and spending um, time really talking to him. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot about all the conversations that are possible, like in possibility space and all the things that you like really would want to know about someone you are close to. And yet that myself and I, I, I imagine at least, most other people will just never have. Uh, so, I mean, and some of these, I mean, these range from the frankly cliched, such as uh, like, what do you like really, let's say, just dream about? Or um, to, to maybe some of the more intimate, you know, uh, their thoughts on uh, maybe a partner or uh if they're really getting satisfaction out of a current job and why and what it is that they feel they are meant to be doing at this stage in their life. Um, but you can even get more uncomfortable. And I, I mean here uncomfortable in the good way, the same way that ex like really good exercise is uncomfortable. I think that there's a level of conversation which uh, you can access, but it really comes through um it, it really comes through having these difficult conversations uh it reminds me of a quote actually i think it goes something like uh a good measure of success in life is just the amount of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have and uncomfortable situations you're willing to endure something like that i think that's worth uh figuring out where it came from so I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe you have one off the top of your head. 
of a, of an uncomfortable situation that was beneficial. Not I guess that that would be interesting, but I'm specifically thinking of topics of conversation, which just for maybe polite society reasons and because we don't have the emotional elasticity all the time to get into it with people, but we just avoid routinely. I'm trying to think like. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll throw out a flag there and it's anything that ends in genics, like eugenics, cryogenics. Those, okay, those, are, okay, those, are, those are pretty, pretty good, good topics that are super interesting and are just like taboo words. But yeah, I, I think I think you mean more in terms of a, a social sense of um, like you don't necessarily like ask people about uh, you know loved ones that are are sick or deceased or, or things like that and like the relationship that you know you don't no one wants to bring up things that are obviously painful but yet they're so intrinsically linked to people's identity and and uh history and the have, have resulted in many ways in you know where they are in their lives and how they view the world yeah something something like that right um mm-hmm. i think i need to clearly go and sit down and pass my thoughts here but there just seems like possibility space is far bigger and far greater and far more interesting than what we are confined to just by social convention and habit. And I mean, this could just reflect my own uh, inadequacies as of yet of, of just making good conversation quickly. And of course, we don't always have, you know, the time or attention or emotional latency to do this, but that's something I'm thinking about doing more and more. Um, mm. so, something else that I... I uh, intend to schedule in more time is just um like low intensity walking in sunlight in nature on my own uh it's something which is so easy to put off like but i find it has a disproportionate benefit on a clarity mood uh and idea generation yeah walking and thinking the the physical landscape extends the mental landscape it's it's like you're using all the space around you as extra computing power it's it's uncanny um mm. I've, I've just realized that that's something i haven't really had for a while now because i was walking to varsity or, or taking a bus ride and a walk and now i drive to and from work every day so i'm getting very little of that and and i just realized that that's probably yeah, that that's something that I've definitely missed, but but I haven't really put the conscious thought to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, f- I find listening to podcasts uh, or audiobooks when walking is fantastic, but I also just walking quietly mm. uh, and with nothing, you know, and just being in your own thoughts. Uh, yeah. That's... Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna rank move that up my list of things that are most beneficial in 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 life, like as 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 habits that one can cultivate because now that i think about it a, a large percentage of my daily routine uh, for the years that i was a student was was walking quite long distances mostly on my own either listening to you know audiobooks or podcasts or just thinking to myself and the value of that is i mean it's undeniably shaped my identity more than you know anything else that really filled the same amount of time i'd say oh that's 
uh, can you point out anything specific that came out of that? Uh, which aspects uh, just, of your identity? Just the, pl- uh, my, my, my strategizing about future prospects, uh, the future of our species and where what role I wanted to play in that. You know, it's almost like the whole 80,000 hours type approach of, of looking at how you can have the, the biggest positive impact on the world and be happy and successful at the same time. And a lot of my time was spent, you know, thinking about the world and, and, and assembling all of, all of it. And especially after varsity, you've learned a whole bunch of things for the day and then you kind of combine them into your world model and then seeing how you fit into that. And, you know, obviously university is such an important time for forming one's identity as well. And I think that all came together for me on, on you know, the sum of all of those walks. It was just like a way for me to update my mental model and something about being out in the world, um, you, you know, depersonalizes it and, and makes it more of a mental exercise whereby you feel your connection to everything else. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's actually something to that in, in several aspects, actually. The one that I would say, and I think that you and I probably both uh, suffer from this a little bit, is just constant input. So, like, I know that in my priority ranking, I'm much more likely to open up the next podcast instead of maybe taking, like, the let's say the remaining 10 minutes of a drive in silence to try and integrate what mm. I just learn so i guess the walks in that way are like a forcing function that just ensure that you are going to sit and integrate for a bit and that's something that i i I worry about more and more is i'm at almost capacity for intake and yet uh synthesis output and reflection are getting cast to the wayside i think Mm, finding that balance is so hard and i think it's less about finding the balance acutely and more about finding it um in the long term, mm. uh, you know, at a, at, a, at a lower resolution. So I, I think having long periods of time where you're just reading intensely and listening and learning and absorbing and then long periods of time where you kind of shut yourself off a bit and you just produce and create and, you know, ponder, I think I think that's a good way to go about it, at the level of weeks or months. Um, as, a, as a student, that was kind of more of a natural thing because your, your time demands swing so heavily from you know sort of month to month depending on whether it's a vacation or it's uh you know test time or it's project time or it's you know just lectures um it's a little bit a little bit different as one gets older and one's daily sort of activities are are, are more uniform but yeah absolutely Mm. i think i think being at one's bandwidth limit for for inputs is um is a danger, especially for, you know, you and I and our ilk. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a real concern. Um, yeah. So do you, do you have any good ways of remedying that? Because like, other than just, you know, not using a cell phone, which would be a very effective way of doing it. What, it uh, what ways me. do you have? I, I must like my, my bandwidth limits are not, uh, because of cell phones. It's, it's more like, I guess, okay, it's the podcast part, yes. Uh, so maybe I'm uh, ignoring a key, a crucial part there. Um, I don't know. I haven't got this right yet. I know that I continually write when I do take a little bit of time to reflect that I want to spend more time creating or outputting or synthesizing. But 
it's just I, for me at least i have a little bit of an information addiction and so i know that it's so easy for me to get stuck into the next book um and because there are always essentially infinite books after that that are interesting and and worth your time uh it's very difficult to pick a cutoff point so i think mm. maybe i'm going to have to put in some rules you know i'm always thinking or looking for a, a rule that will actually uh take some decision making away from me yeah so maybe maybe we should take a uh you know a, 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 i want to say a, a page out of the book but it's probably a bad uh, <laughs> metaphor here from uh, one of my favorite books which is algorithms to live by um and, yes. and look at it as a as an actual real bandwidth problem so you know what's what do you do when you've got too much, uh, you know, too much signal uh, or too many packets, you know, sort of going get towards a, um, a node on a network? Well, you, you, can, you can buffer them to some extent, which yeah. uh, I think we both already do. You know, we have uh, like a capture system um, for, for, for books and podcasts so, and, and articles. So if you recommend me an article, it usually goes into pocket. Um, and that just buffer stacks up and, and periodically I'll just, you know, delete things because I'm never going to get around to them. And I only keep like the 20% that I think are the most valuable. So that's a, that's kind of like a, a kind of buffer, I suppose. And then Goodreads is a buffer on what you read. Every recommendation goes into the one to read, but you only read some from there. Um, so there's, there's buffers and then, um, you know, another thing would be throttling, I suppose, where you you limit the the rate at which data can flow to a more to a more manageable uh, level. Um, the real world application of that is a little bit more uh, difficult. Uh, we'll get back to that, and then I suppose another thing you would have is uh, actually something that they they look at at the book uh, in the book uh, in detail, which is um, how transfer transferring data over the TCP IP protocol. You have this, um, you know, you make a connection and you start sending packets. And if the packets are received, you have a, an additive increase. So you just keep sending them faster and faster and faster while you're still having them being received successfully. Um, and then as soon as they stop getting uh, received successfully, as soon as one is dropped, then you have a multiplicative decrease. It's additive increase, multiplicative decrease. So you, you like halve the rate at which it's flowing. Um, and they go into, you know, good reasons and the mathematics to some extent of why this is the case. Uh, but it's, it's very effective and they map that to the real world, uh, to some extent. So I don't know, could, could we map that, you know, less so to email and the sorts of things that they looked at and more to our problem of, of input coming from podcasts and YouTube videos and, and stuff that's valuable books, but which can be overwhelming. I have a, I would, this would be how I would do it. So I would say I would peg it to my like feeling of overwhelm. So if I'm feeling like I'm not understanding things well, or maybe I'm feeling just harassed almost by the sheer volume of things that I want to get to, then, so whilst I'm, you know, this increasing function and trying more and more things, as soon as maybe you could link it, as soon as you feel overwhelmed, you mm. completely half your input. Half your input. And you have to spend That's... then half of your time reflecting or not taking any audio. So you have to drive in silence, let's say, for podcasts, or you have to walk in silence, or you know, I don't know what I would do with my Kindle, but <laughs> not read it. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. That's a bit like chopping off my hand. 
Um, <laughs> Do you take it with you wherever you go? Like whenever you're carrying a bag or something? Yeah, that's basically been my habit. Uh, is Interesting. If, if I have my bag, I, I tend to have my Kindle. I also just try to find things with pockets that are big enough for it so that it's even closer oh, wow. to hand. I, I find it's a struggle like, in summer. It is a struggle in summer, but uh, my new motto is uh, it's never too hot for jeans. <laughs> this is this is a dogma I will be I will live and die by. It's your, the, your, your, your fight on that hill to the death. Exactly. Um, I wanted to actually. So, I guess you know when we were speaking about all of this, the underlying thing, and this was actually going to be my next point. Something else that I schedule in or try to is it's just time to think is is something that I have on this list in my head, because. I don't know about you, but, you know, we both interact with a lot of really smart and interesting people and all the time, right? We're having people say things like, oh, I think about this quite a lot, or I thought about that, or what, what do you think about it? And yet I think we're playing a word game there, right? I mean, we're asking, we're saying the word think and having this mental image of someone, you know, sitting down and pounding through solution space and considering alternatives and trying to reject the hypothesis, or maybe uh, if you're a bit of idealistic. And in reality, we're essentially getting what Yadkowski um, would call cached answers, right? Um, mm. And so, and we just have a lot of those because we've taken in a lot of input from a lot exactly. of sources. So, so we actually can't think for rocks. Real time to think is something which mm. I think gives disproportionate returns, both because it is so rarely done and because you are doing a combined synthesis, analysis, summary, and because it's just, um, yeah, it's 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 just a it's a sparse resource. So I, I have resource. I have some some links into that because that yeah that's a that's a very very good point. Um, it, this ties back to some things that I forgot to. Uh, mentioned earlier with um, like when I'm doing the re- weekly review um, and and another thing that I wanted to mention about when you say scheduling stuff uh, which is time blocking to actually physically put stuff in the calendar and like see it all there it's like sleeping and, and commuting time and all of that and then blocking out physically blocking out in the calendar time for social commitments and exercise and, and things like that because that uh, th- that makes them you know equal to you know, any formal commitments that one might have in there and, and you will be able to defend them um, more significantly. And that I found is very successful. Um, but I try and do that. So when I do my weekly review, I the last thing on the list is to look ahead. Um, and in that I schedule workouts, uh, meeting times with collaborators for projects I'm working on, whatever they may be. Um, I block out deep work if I'm working on some project you know, outside of like work hours or something like that. Um, and when I'm going to try and work on it, um, I plan my sort of social commitments and, um, I try and plan some like social sport, but then the, the, one of the things on there is, it's actually at the, the top of the list is a think session. And I put it in capital letters and it's a time to just sit and think. And, and the, uh, I, I feel, I feel like it was the, the authors of free economics, um, when they wrote the follow up, which was think like a freak, they said that one of the things was just to sit and spend time just thinking with no stimulus or topic or anything. And uh, I, I think I that stuck with me for years and I, I always try and schedule it. That said, I very seldom actually, like I, I will always end up moving these think sessions or distracting myself or 
delaying it and then something comes up and, and I'm very bad about defending that. So I definitely need a bit of strategy about defending it, but I think the idea of actually scheduling it is good. Um, I just maybe need to tweak it in some way to make it more defensible, uh, like chain it to some reward or, you know, something. Um, but also just before that on the weekly review, other things I have is I review my, uh, I have lists in Evernote called Eureka, um, uh, and well, and I have one on my laptop called Brain Dump. Essentially, they just list. So, when I think of an idea, and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea, but I can't like pursue that right at this instant. I just make a note of it, and it like gets backed up to the cloud, and then I can expunge it from my mind. So it's not distracting me, but it's at the same time it's like captured, whether I do something with that or not. So just just getting rid of it for starters is valuable because now it's not distracting you anymore. But then I can review them later. And it's an amazing like repository over time. You know, whenever you're stuck and go, I don't have a good idea. Like there's just like a, you know, a wealth of these. Um, so I've like automated that to a large extent. And that's, I found like very, very useful. So even when I'm trying to like avoid technology, if I'm like trying to study or something and I don't have my phone, I'll have a piece of paper next to me that's just for like, because suddenly as soon as you have to study, you just become a treasure trove of amazing project ideas and brilliant <laughs> inventions. And as one does, you know, like I literally can fill like an A4 sheet of paper with ideas I have while trying to study before I fill an A4 sheet with notes. Um, and, and so it's an amazing way to just get it out of your mind and then you can review it later. And how, looking at those things just connects so many synapses. So that also ties into, you know, sort of every week I'm reviewing these things um, and then also reviewing which projects I'm working on. And I sometimes add the ideas to my project or make a project out of an idea. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that, that, that is almost like scheduling time to think or to think about ideas once had or explore novel ideas further because they're super valuable, um, but often ephemeral and often like distracting and then forgotten. Well, I think, Gianluca, as usual, we have found ways to converge even closer to uh, just doing almost exactly the same things. I mean, I have almost an identical uh, sort of repository of ideas uh, that I, as you say, just to dump it out of your brain, even if you think it's good, but don't have the energy to pursue it. uh, That that is something that I make some reasonable use of. And uh, like you, I'm, I'm... seeing more and more that I, I should just be scheduling and defending these these uh, thinking sessions. But they are, they are, we need to have a term here for the opposite of those, those space-filling events because these are like space-minimizing events. These shrink like uh, to nothing of their own volition because you're just far mm. more likely to put them off as, oh, well, how much value... Uh, am I really going to get out of this? I don't know if that's the problem, but for several yeah. reasons, they are easy to ignore. Mm, totally. Like spending quality time with family is like one that's like quite easy to squash or mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, that thinking time or meditation, meditating time or, you know, then exercise There's quite a few and they're just so easy to squash yeah. when other things run. Yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, why did it, yeah, so you've got you've got the, the the expanders and the collapses, maybe, or the expanders and the constrictors. So we will we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We will, we will we will get some terminology that is uh, worthy of your attention, and then we will uh, yeah send that on. You know, 
create a create a graphic, write a write an article about it, and exactly. popularize it. You want to get to the point where uh, where 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 old Joe is like, hey, uh, Jamie, Jamie, bring that up. <laughs> what, was that, what was that? What was that thing about the time expanding and contracting? Can, can bring, Jamie, bring that up. Have, have you seen the shit? Exactly. Have you seen this? Oh, it's fantastic and I love how like half of his guests are just like totally surprised when that happens yes like uh, oh. Roger Penrose like they bring up some like uh, diagram or, or, or something during the thing and he's like oh there it is he's, he's like so taken aback he's like well, they've actually bothered to do it live you know it's like, this is why you have a producer in the room hmm. um, and presumably also because they do it live but probably with some seven second delay in case someone says something and it's like no shit we can't say that cut that I presume they don't go live live. They go like soft live. There's some there's think? some delay. Uh, yeah, I think you have to, dude. I don't think at that scale with people who are... I don't know, although people go live on TV, but I think they're even then. There's there's always like there's like a, what the, a, a seven second uh, threshold. Like if someone just starts swearing and whatever, you have seven seconds that before you can cut them before it actually goes live. Um I don't know. I thought that was just like a, a standard practice with live things, but uh, like I would not want to do a, a live uh, recording of, of of just about anything. Like I think that's terrifying, especially not an interview, because uh, you can do so much in an edit. I think also just you know, knowing, being a decent editor in terms of video and, and knowing how much an edit can make the thing mm. that you're capturing, <laughs> like it's just like well, you know the temptation is is overwhelming. But yeah, coming back to Expanders and contractors, uh, growers and shrinkers, growers the flaccid and, and the turgid. Yeah. No, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not the, the right growers technology. and the slowers. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the problem: is humans are humans love lists that are like three, five, ten, twelve items long, and humans love things that have uh, strong like alliteration or uh, good like uh, patterns to to the to the rhythm of them and so a, a lot of the uh, uh, sage advice that we remember is just like because it's catchy not because it's like 100% accurate so if you can ever find something that has a really catchy name that people can remember that's also like highly accurate i mean that's a gold mine i think that's one of the things one should just genuinely sit down and think about uh, is is like I good guess- names for things or good good like breakdowns of things that fit nicely into the buckets that humans remember well like like things in threes are so well remembered that that's that's very true and i guess there's um this is a topic which comes up often uh between us and and some people we talk to is that idea of the debt that's incurred when you generate new knowledge but generate it in a form in which it is very difficult for others to use right i mean so we've talked about this in the context of like research papers in some fairly uh difficult topics but i guess this applies to almost anything right i mean if you are writing a blog post on how to get a girlfriend and you spend 20 more minutes thinking about how to summarize your approach into a catchy little triad you are making your that knowledge more accessible to the world and that's uh Mm. as long as you're doing it in a way that accurately maps back to the original space you know like the uh the output space you know it must be it must be as much as possible a lossless compression 
Um, uh-huh. and, and so, so, I mean, humans are so, so wired to think of things in certain patterns. Like, uh, it's like the, the best example I think is commonly misremembered sayings. All right. So, so like, uh, are you feeling lucky punk or, or things like that aren't actually not, or, um, you know, uh, Luke, I am your father. Like all of these things are well remembered by people but none of them were ever actually said uh, they, they were quite different from that and so the the reason why people remember them like that is because that's a, it fits a pattern of memorable things so the book elements of eloquence goes into this very deeply yeah. but um particularly you know like humans have this thing if if you say you know um how, you know, how do you get to carnegie hall and the guy goes practice man practice like that's so much more memorable than just practice you know, things that that have symmetry and 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 certain patterns that link with the way we speak and the way we think ah. and I mean, it's true in alliteration it's true in um the the meter uh, of the of of the things that we say in in just everywhere um and and you can find like the most well remembered you know the name's bond james bond like the the the, the, the that is entirely a result of the form um, so yeah, if you can, can fit the function within a profound form, you've mm. done a true service to humanity. And I think like some of the greatest authors out there are people who've just combined other people's ideas or even not even combined, maybe just presented them in a way that's much more accessible. And, and I think that is actually incredibly valuable and incredibly underrated. Do you have any uh, particular favorite examples of that kind of thing? For me, I think the, the book that you mentioned earlier uh, in this episode, uh, Algorithms to Live By, I think gives an excellent treatment of some aspects of like theoretical computer science for basically anyone. I mean, I, I don't think you really need to have much more than, like, what would you say, high school mathematics, if that? Yeah, and the kind of inquisitive mind that, that might be informed. I, I was reluctant to mention that because I... I, you know, have the background, so I it, it would be hard for me to say, you know, All it's right, suitable yeah. for the lay person because I don't know that it actually would be. So there's a bias there. Um, and, you know, I'll think of like seven of these tonight in bed while I'm trying to fall asleep. But you, um, be, you, you need to think about other things in bed, my friend. I'll be thinking about <laughs> I have a bed now. I'll, I'll be. Yeah, there we go. You're not going to be sleeping on the floor. I mean, just, just reflecting on that is, is incredible. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think I think yeah through the through the years there are you know some people have both like a, I feel like a Sam Harris maybe he's not the most quotable guy but he he's very good at expressing ideas as mm-hmm. well as to a large extent synthesize like he is synthesizing ideas based on combining others you know he's not just like telling you about meditation or about you know rationality or any of these things. Um, Eliezer's actually quite bad a lot of the time at, at making... I think he produces ideas at such a rate. And it's like... Uh, was it um, was it Blaise Pascal who said, um, I'm sorry my letter couldn't be shorter. I didn't have... You know, I'm sorry the letter so long I didn't have time to make it shorter. Yes, that's... that's this, this idea... That's, yeah, and and uh, it's, it's, I think uh, like with Eliezer in the, in the sequences, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky, for anyone who's... Um, not already <laughs> baptized into <laughs> the less wrong world. Um, yeah, in the sequence, he, you know, he's writing like an article a day 
And so it, it's about volume then about, you know, uh, sort of precision or refinement or iteration. You know, it's, it's almost like a, it's like a product cycle. You iterate on it to make it better. And I think when you look at like, you know, print books, there's a lot more of that. Um, and poetry is the most of that that you get. You know, that's the, that's the utter extreme. Less slow in, in some uh, incarnations. But, uh, but yeah, you know, a lot of those well-remembered lines are, you know, from, from poems because that would, that's what a poem is. It, it's, it's focusing most of one's energy not on the idea but on how to say the idea well. You know, it's 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 yeah. ideas that we've all had, just well put. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Sorry, Sasha's uh, she's having like severe toothaches, so she oh, needs uh, her wisdom's out. So I think that's why she's uh, a bit of a sad girl at the moment. I was just trying sure. to console her. Uh, that's yeah that's not not ideal when uh yeah wis- wisdoms are yeah another what maladaptation of of humans like we don't <laughs> we don't need extra teeth for grinding up um fibrous vegetables or an appendix to make them less dangerous i don't know what is the appendix even for it was something like that, right? It was like a bacterial... I think, if I remember correctly, the textbooks, uh, they all say that it's just put there to kill some percentage of uh, children. That's that's why it's there. <laughs> no, it's just it's its both. own form of population control. But it's, it's like really a, slow and ineffective. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was the only um, organ that, did the, that joined the book club where they read better never to have been. And then it was like, cool, um, I'm in. I, I feel like there's some great pun on the term vestigial organ, but uh, it's not coming to me. I can I can feel it there, but I just can't I can't catch it. It's like my net's too too porous. Um, it's too porous. Oh. My my net's too porous. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just a, a, a it's not cached. <laughs> Cached replies. Now that that Cached is replies. that is. But the human brain works on caching. It would be impossible without it. As I, as I now realize, trying to do queries on a one terabyte uh, SQL database. The thing is, though, in some ways, I find that a highly liberating idea. So, I mean, I guess for anyone who listens to this and is unfamiliar uh, with the idea of a cache reply, it's just that if you... I think when Eliezer Yadkowski, in, in this particular essay, he derives this from just the physical limitations of computation in the human brain. But basically, mm. if you the, are... Like the, 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 the processing speed of neurons. Yes. And so, uh, if you are generating a sufficiently complex answer in a really short time, then you can be pretty much certain that like, it's physically impossible for your brain to have done any novel computing of that information in that time. So you know that instead it's just doing a memory call and bringing up whatever uh, cached answer you have there. So I find this fairly limiting, not limiting, but uh, liberating because it gives a, a, a good source of novelty once you're aware of that tendency and you know that people have this sort of psychological tendency to use their cached answers then you could become this sort of fountain of novelty and intrigue 
just by doing the extra work to say, okay, that was my cash response. What's my real response? And then using that as maybe a call to think. Mm, absolutely. Or, or, to, or to update or deliberately, you know, spend time changing one's cash thoughts. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens when you listen to someone on a, on a podcast or in some kind of interview or, or something, and they just seem like this treasure trove of information and original ideas on every topic. And, and it's just because their cached thoughts, you know, they're just recalling, but their cached thoughts are, you know, well-developed and uh, highly dissimilar to everyone else's cached thoughts, but still makes sense when you go and follow the causal logic manually, you know, back to uh, to sort of the, the, the premises. And um, so, you know, one might even say that, you know, rationality is almost just the, the discipline of, um, using deliberate thought to uh, update and refine one's cached thoughts in this sort of feedback loop that just improves itself. I guess we really do want better cached thoughts. We, we want to improve uh, our default state and our default set of replies, and that is the work of a lifetime, right? That is, mm. in some sense, your... Um, your memorized solutions when you want memorized solutions. Hundred mm, percent. Yeah, and this is like it's similar to the idea of you know the atomic habits idea. You 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 do the habits, or you know you form your identity as the kind of person who then does those habits every day, and then those add up to change over time. It's 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 not the other way. It's not the inverse, right? So uh, you 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 become the kind of person who cares about the truth. Uh, and as a result, you think deeply about things and your cached thoughts then become formed around more accurate models of reality. And so over time, you become the kind of person whose immediate response is more truthful and more accurate. That's the, that's the hypothesis. And I guess identifying that hypothesis in possibility space was, well, it was either a cached thought or it was some novel generation. So... Hmm. Tying a few of the ideas we've had this evening together, the, ter- the, the terminology, you know, something space is, is an interesting one. I, I think it's, and maybe this is just my own experience, but I find it's a very effective way to convey ideas to someone else who's familiar with ideas of, of, of a similar kind or who's familiar with the concept, right. but it's very ineffective at conveying ideas to people who aren't, right? So if you talk to someone who's like familiar with machine learning and you talk about idea space, that makes so much sense. It's a very good spatial analogy and humans are good at, you know, that spatial understanding. But when you, you know, it's literally the space of it. When you talk to someone who's not familiar with that terminology, you just lose them immediately. And I was a person who didn't use... Right, that so terminology we yeah we should we should probably explain what we mean by that but now we're going to have the inferential distances problem so we should probably explain what we mean by that but uh, you know that's a self-fulfilling prophecy so uh seeing as how seeing as how you're uh, you're digging into it lately go ahead and explain x space um okay not space x i guess i guess like the, the formal the formalism comes from linear algebra but how you can think about it is that um Let's think of a concrete example here. Let's think of uh, different 
t- kinds of dog, right? We call that dog space. And essentially all that refers to, right, is each different kind of dog could be represented as um, a direction in some space. So, I mean, this could have more than the three dimensions that we think of uh, intuitively, but you only have to be able to think of it abstractly. Let's just imagine that the only dogs were German shepherds, cocker spaniels, and beagles, right? Um, so that would be a three-dimensional space, right? But now you can see how you could easily have more dimensions. You could add in Jack Russells or whatever. And so a point in space there would be, let's say you had a dog that was a combination, you know, one-third German Shepherd, one-third Beagle, and one-third Cocker Spaniel, it would plot to that point in space. And at this point, it was zero Jack Russell. And so when we say uh, thing space or idea space, we're really talking about the set of all possible outcomes uh, of that property, I want to say. I don't know, you you bring in maybe some technicality or some rigor here because, um, and then I think the other thing which would be fun to try and do is maybe we should try and uh, complete Eliezer's challenge of how short uh, of an explanation of uh, short inferential distances can you give. But uh, let's save that for just after. Yeah. But yeah, add so, some rigor to what I was just saying, if you yeah, if you want. While you yeah, so so I've actually I was thinking about this today, during my commute, while listening to a podcast because you know multiprocessing, <laughs> um, which for the record is impossible for the human brain. Ish. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, ish. Like like the the driving and thinking. That's that's multiprocessing. We can do the thinking and thinking. Not so much. But uh, I, I, was, I was thinking about this very thing and I, that I've thought about that idea because I, I you know, wasn't always familiar with the terminology. Like the concepts behind it I've, you know, had for a while, but I just hadn't made like the two or three, like and maybe it wasn't even inferential steps. I just I wasn't familiar with using the terminology of something space. And now I find myself using it all the time. And it's probably from digging into machine learning. But it's very useful for people who get it and it's very bad at describing and explaining things. That's a terrible analogy for people who aren't familiar with it. So I was thinking about how best one can convey this simply and effectively, which is very challenging. But uh, one of the ideas I came up with was to to go, okay, cool, keep it to two dimensions because people can very easily visualize that. Like even three starts to become tricky because now you still gonna have to use your hands and whatever. So keep it to 2D. So think about if we have a group of people and we want to collect two pieces of information about each person. We want to collect their weight, their, their body mass, and their height. And now what we do is we want to, we, we go and we take down these two measurements of each person. And now we want to represent those measurements. So naturally we can draw a graph of like the relationship between weight and height. So you've got weight on the x-axis and height on the y-axis. And you've literally just got like a chart. And now you can draw a point that represents some person, right? So you look at their their weight on the x-axis, you move along with your finger until you get to the weight that they are, and then you move up on the y-axis until you get to the height that they are, and you draw a little a little dot, right? And you can do that for each person. Now you've got a whole bunch of dots, right? So our, our, our space, of our, our person space, looking only at those two attributes, is 
the area that is made by the square, so it, it's the square that's made by those two sides, or the, you know, the rectangle that's made by, that's a physical space, right? And if you were to just drop a pencil onto that page and it would hit some random point, that corresponds to some weight and some height, some X and some Y value, right? So every point like that in that space corresponds to a pair of measurements that could represent some human, Mm, right? okay. So the like sample that. that we had might not be one of those points, but all of those points could possibly be some sample. And then you get into why this is useful, which would be, well, you maybe start seeing that there's like clusters of these dots in your space, right? And so one cluster would be like people who are lean and healthy and athletic, and you would notice that part of your sample group separated from the people who were... Um, you know, unhealthy and overweight because they, you know, you'd have a cluster uh, if weight's on the x-axis, you know, bottom right corner, you've sort of got uh, people who are short and, and heavy and then you're sort of like middle and top left, you've got people who are, you know, for their height, quite quite low weight. So, and, and essentially you would have clusters and you could separate them into two groups of people. But this idea of a space, it's actually a physical space. It's just the more features you have, the more different things like weights and height, mm. the more measurements you're taking for each person, the more dimensions you have in your space. And as soon as you, you know, you three, it's now a cube. It's still a space. It's now a volume. And as soon as you can go four dimension, five dimension, six dimension, you can just keep adding. Well, now you can't visualize it, but the principles still apply. The simplest kind of version, I suppose, would be like a Venn diagram. You can talk about like possibility space, it's like the big circle. And then you've got like, um, you know, like a circle that overlaps with that. And then, you mm. know, the spaces actually re represent possible things that can exist and things with inside those things. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of like of metaphors like that to try and explain it because once someone gets that idea, it's so useful. Like it is, it explaining really is. the idea of possibility space is a great way to explain the concept of like the, the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, you know, like, oh, there's all these finely tuned variables in our universe so there must be a God because otherwise, you know, how could it be so finely tuned? It, the odds of it happening are so small. And it's like, well, you know, only in a universe where those things all happen to be in that way would, you know, intelligent life have arisen to remark on how unlikely that is. It's like shooting at a target or shooting at a wall from, you know, hundreds of yards away. And then you go and draw a target around the, the bullet hole and you go, you see, I'm a perfect perfect sharpshooter and that's where the, the name comes from but the idea of considering the possible you know space of all universes that could exist you know, that's a great example of now if the person has an idea of universe space now they have an idea of okay cool it's unlikely but you know only in some as some part of that universe space would intelligent life even be able to like reflect on that hmm. yeah I, I like that um and now I've stalled enough for you, and it's your go at explaining short inferential steps. <laughs> I think I steps. can do this. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Okay, so let's do this. So what we're re referencing here is the fact that uh, Eliezer Yadkowski wrote an essay called, I think it was called Expecting Short Inferential Distances. And part of that essay, he basically said that uh, it, this concept is very difficult to explain in a shorter length than the one that he used. So I'm going to try and beat him and uh, wish me luck. Um, basically, when we explain things to people, we assume more shared knowledge 
than is actually likely. And the reason for this, at least Eliezer Yadkowski posits, is an evolutionary one, in that for however many thousands of years we were tribal, all of the possible facts that we were likely to discover, new facts, for example, of uh, new food sources or uh, the new location of some feature of interest, were explainable to other members of our tribe and just mentioning the new fact was enough in and of itself to explain its significance. You did not have to explain to uh, hominids with our own evolutionary histories why water might be important or why food might be important. And so Yadkowski posits, because we have uh, evolved and spent so much time in settings where we are used to explaining something and not having to explain all the reasoning behind that, we now find ourselves in a situation where uh, a very involved argument, an academic one or something in a journal paper, might have several hundred, uh, call them prerequisites and background knowledge and what Yadkowski ultimately calls inferential steps, as in... Uh, steps that explain why the previous mentioned fact is important and true. You know, uh, I don't have to explain to you why you need calories. Your, your body takes care of that reasoning. Uh, when you explain the theory of evolution, there are several inferential steps that you're assuming, uh, and you can do that safely, let's say, if the person is, you know, uh, has a scientific background, but you can't be so sure uh, for large swaths of just planet Earth, unfortunately. Uh, and yet those inferential steps, right, those reasons to believe evolution is true, are no less true and no less valuable, but easy to neglect because of this ancient sort of bias of expecting that everyone shares our common tribal knowledge because that is all there is. That was, that was, that was, a, pretty, that was a pretty solid effort. Like, that was a... As, you know, as a, mm-hmm. I, I'd give you a first for that. Ah, oh, thank you. I was going to say you just you know, scraped a, a first class B minus mark on that. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, the it 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 it, it did follow Yudkowsky's sort of trajectory that he takes in the in the post, but it's because the post is very very good. It, that, I yeah. think that's, that's probably my favorite of all but of his. It's, it it's, is it's a, a standout, which yeah. is saying a lot. Uh, and he uh, he uses that, and, and the conclusion is fantastic as well. He's like, and if you think you can explain all of this to an audience, you know, briefly, just <laughs> as a, uh, you know, uh, uh, an intro before your actual talk, then you're sadly mistaken, and you're going to come up against the very problem itself. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, another way to just think of inferential steps is to is to kind of look at like if you were to start at things that everyone can observe around you, like there is a water bottle on the desk in front of you, um, say, and get to some conclusion like uh, humans evolved from a common ancestor. It's the number of therefores on that page that you would have is the number of inferential steps, in, in, in other words. Okay, and yeah, and then it's a, a proxy because we tend to we tend to not do one inferential step at a time. We tend to, to take leaps when we actually use the word therefore. But uh, but yeah, essentially you've got there's a water bottle on the desk. Um, 
and therefore there's water inside the bottle, and therefore, and therefore, and therefore, and therefore, and therefore there is common lineage, and therefore, and therefore, and therefore we have a common ancestor. And so each one, each time you have to go A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C, that's an inferential step. And when you chain those together, you get you know, these complex theories because it's a, it's like a network, you know, that all of these different inferences can all connect together and converge on, on nodes in the network. But yeah, those is a pretty good batch. I think, I think if we can explain the concepts of space and inferential steps effectively, it would bode very well for us in uh, future discussions, arguments, presentations. <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly, you know, I was, I was a, a doubter, but once you explained to me how this water bottle on my desk uh, proves <laughs> that evolution is, proves that. It, it just, it gives it a, a, a credence much higher than, than it had before. Just as, as, a, as, a, as a warning before, before anything else is you should never start with the thing at the top of the page and the thing at the bottom of the page and try and fill in the gaps. It's <laughs> terrible. And university education and school education even tell us to do that a lot of the time like learning to do proof by induction mm. you start i always started with the conclu- i mean they, they tell you to do that right essentially like prove this using this um and you start you i literally would write the conclusion at the bottom and then fill in the steps because you would might get part marks um but that is a very bad uh, rationalist move um, and, and any self-respecting person who, who values truth should not actually follow that. You should start with some observation and move to a conclusion um, and you shouldn't know what conclusion you're going to hit until you do. Anyway, um, I, I think, I think we've, we've delved very deeply into spaces and we've inferred and we've discussed memorable lines and uh, what else have we dug into? We've dug into... Um, Habits are things that are worth scheduling. Mm, we, uh, we came away with some new activities ones. that expand and activities that contract. Yeah. Uh, and we need names for them. We're so if, our, if, our, if any of our listeners want to write into us and suggest <laughs> names. Yeah, write in the mail. Uh, we, we check that often. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, yeah, we all, we, I think for me at least what I'm taking away from this is just I need to schedule in that thinking time and that walking alone time. That, that's a big one for me. Absolutely, yeah. I I need to I need to bring reinject that into my life um, and find some good uh, concrete actionable ways to do that. So that's definitely something I'm going to work uh, work on and uh, the noticing um, and reflecting every time I I walk through a doorway as much as possible. Um, that's that's another little one that you that you brought to my attention that I'll be exploring. But yeah, it's been mm-hmm. a it's been a very good meandering tangential discussion, and those are the best kinds. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It's been great chatting. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Cool. Until the next one. Thanks for listening to the Bit of a Tangent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please get in touch with us and share your thoughts. You can email us at podtangent at gmail.com. That's P-O-D tangent at gmail.com. Or connect with us on Twitter through the handle at PodTangent. For more information about us, our backgrounds, and other projects we're involved in, visit our website at podtangent.com. The best ways to support us are to share one of our episodes with someone who might enjoy them, or give us a rating and review on iTunes. That way, Apple knows that we're actually worth listening to, and all the platforms that pull content from them will know this as well. 
Jean-Luc and I both love having these discussions, and we relish the opportunity to share ideas with like-minded people around the world. Your support and listenership are sincerely appreciated. Until next time.